In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In this time of prayer, we can re-enter a scene that we often enter during our meditations, which is the scene of the Last Supper. Jesus and his apostles are in that upper room, often called the Cenacle in Jerusalem. And our Lord there, of course, performs the First Mass at the Last Supper. For the first time, he says, This is my body, given for you. This is the chalice of my blood, poured out for you. But our Lord also pours out his love during that supper in this wonderful discourse, which is recorded in the Gospel of John. And we know that John heard all of these words sitting very close to our Lord. He records himself that he leaned his head against the chest of our Lord during the scene of the Last Supper. So he heard all those words from way close up to the source, to our Lord's face, to our Lord's mouth. And so we too, Lord, want to hear what you have to say to us. We want to hear your words of encouragement, your words of love, your words that teach us what God is like what you are like. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Lord, what a wonderful wish. What a wonderful plan. What a wonderful promise. You've spoken these things to us so that your joy may be in me and in all of us and that our joy may be full. In another place, the life that Jesus wants us to have, the life that Jesus wants to share with us is called the fullness of life. And of course, it's the fullness of life because it's a share in his life. He says, I am the way and the truth, and the life. And here he's saying that the joy we have as Christians, the joy joy that we should have as Christians, is not just any joy, but his joy, and, and for us, the fullness of joy. Lord, we can't imagine what a joy this is. We have to think, what is the joy of Jesus? What joy does Jesus experience that is his alone and that he wants to share with us? Well, part of it, I think it has several several dimensions. Part of it is that he's fully aware of how much the Father loves him. He's fully aware of how cherished he is by the Father. Another part of it, and we can we'll go into all these one by one in our prayer today, is that he's fully out out of himself 
he's fully forgetting about himself. He's fully given over to loving the Father, serving the Father, loving us, serving us. And he says, I want you to have the same joy. But Lord, we notice there's a condition. The condition is, if, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Lord, help us to see and understand and accept this condition. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. And practically speaking, what does that mean? Well, I think I think a, a bare minimum of keeping his commandment is always the condition of staying in the state of grace. Not transgressing any commandment to the extent where it becomes a mortal sin that separates us from the grace of God. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. And so to, to be in the state of grace is precisely to remain in his love, to be where we're in a state of friendship with him, a state of friendship and love of the Father, where our will is directed to God. It's not directed away from God. If you're in the state of grace, you'll remain in my love. And that's a wonderful guidepost for our life, a wonderful road that's very clearly marked. Stay in the state of grace. Remain there and you'll remain where God's love can reach you. You'll remain in his love. And if you, and if you leave that path, if you leave that road, the safe road of the state of grace, well then you won't be joyful. You'll be uneasy. Your soul knows that it's not heading in the right direction. Your soul will be fearful and anxious that you might die outside of God's friendship. Our soul is at peace in the first place when we're right with God. It's kind of like this happens sometimes to people. It's happened to me. You'll be, you'll be with a, a mother who's got a young child. An infant, and the infant seems perfectly content and happy, still peaceful in its mother's arms. And then the mother, you know, wants to share the infant with others or maybe take a break from holding, holding him or her. And so she passes the baby to you. And you receive the baby and you start to hold it. And immediately the baby starts getting antsy and starts wriggling around and then starts crying and then starts crying louder and then starts yelling and and it can't be consoled and so you try your best to rock it and to distract it or whatever um, but then eventually you give it back to its mother usually i do that pretty quickly if, if i realize that the baby is not comfortable uh, being held by me and so this is this is a little bit what our soul is like when we when we remove our soul from the arms of God when we kind of jump out of his grasp well we start crying and we're not we're not happy and we're not peaceful and we need to be picked up by God again we need to let him hold us again so that we can be where his love is that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be full. To know that we're loved by God the Father in the way that God the Father loves his Son. Jesus, in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, the father pleads with the elder son. The elder son is, is upset at how, how lavishly the father has celebrated the return of his younger son, the prodigal son. The elder brother is envious of this party that's been, that's been thrown for him and doesn't have mercy in his heart, the mercy of the father's heart. And, and as he pleads with his elder son to come in and to accept his brother and to rejoice with them over the return of his, of his, of his brother, the father says, son, all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. And that's an expression of God the father's heart towards Jesus and God the father's heart towards all of us. All that is mine is yours. The father loves us with everything he has including his own son. And so Jesus' joy is a joy of knowing that this, that, that the Father loves him with everything he has, that the Father holds back nothing from the Son. He's put all things in my hands. And Jesus, amazingly, in the same discourse of the Last Supper, Jesus says, guess what? The Father loves you, my disciples, with the same love with which he loves me. And that love is in you. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus says later on in the same scene, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The Father loves us even as he loves his own Son. A few verses later, I like to say because because the Holy Spirit wants to make the point, uh, we tend to doubt these things because they're so wonderful. And so the Holy Spirit repeats it, has St. John repeat it in his Gospel. O righteous Father, Jesus continues, The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus, you make known the Father's name. You make known the Father's love on the cross. Why? What's the end? What's the point? What's the purpose? That the love with which the Father has loved you, may be in us, and you in us. St. Paul, writing to the Romans, says pretty much the same thing in a different way, very very beautifully, but in a different way. St. Paul says, And hope does not disappoint, for the love of God has been poured into our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And so this is to get a glimpse, to believe this, to reflect on it, to pray about it, is to get a glimpse as to what is what Jesus is talking about. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The number one element, I think, the first dimension of Jesus' joy is this, to be loved by the Father with this infinite love. And the flip side of that, or 
something that that makes possible is forgetting himself, getting out of himself. Precisely because he knows how much the Father loves him. Precisely because, because he realizes that the Father will always care for him, no matter what happens to him. He has the, he has the ability to forget himself, to give himself up for us, to, to empty himself. Into your hands I commend my spirit. The last words of Jesus on the cross. His act of redemption, his act of love for us, his act of self-sacrifice is at the same time an act of trust in his Father. Into your hands I commend my spirit or into your hands I entrust my spirit. And so that's another dimension of Jesus' joy that he wants us to have. Knowing that the Father loves us so much we should have the confidence to serve others and to try more and more each day to forget about ourselves, to reduce our self-concern, to shrink our, our egoism. I think a third element here, which is related to the first two, is also that Jesus has a healthy sense of accomplishment. And that's part of his joy. Jesus is self-aware. He, he forgets himself in service for the Father, in love for us, but he but he realizes his own goodness. He says about himself, he says, I always do what pleases him. The Father loves me because I always do what pleases him. And the Father um, lets Jesus know and lets others know that he that he appreciates the Son. Precisely for this, for, for his pleasing the Father. Twice in the in the New Testament. A voice comes from heaven, the voice of God the Father. Well, it happens three times, actually, but two of the times that it happens, precisely God the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right? He's, he's living up to his, to his sonship. He's being a good son, an obedient son. I'm pleased with the work that he's doing. I'm pleased that he's taken on this task of redemption. And so these last two, I think, we have experience of this. Lord, your joy at forgetting yourself in order to serve others, your joy in forgetting yourself in the very experience of serving others, being generous with others, of seeing their needs and forgetting about your own, and your joy, the healthy sense of the accomplishment of doing that because it pleases the Father. We experience that when we when we do the same thing. And there's lots of people who are like this, that, that they're generous and good people, and they'll, and they'll say this, they say, I like I like helping people. Right? This is what this is what makes me happy. To help others. Why? Because it's a genuine it's a genuine experience of forgetting about oneself in order to serve others. It's a genuine experience also of realizing one's own goodness, one's own moral goodness. And Jesus had the same experience. Lord, you were happy because you forgot yourself. You forgot yourself because you could forget yourself because you knew and trusted in God's love for you. And you were happy also because you reflected on, on your own response and your own goodness. I always do what pleases him. Lord, help us to shoot for and have as our goal 
your joy and the fullness of joy. Help us, Lord, to be aware of of false joys, of illusory paths to happiness. And this is a very important thing to to pray about, to think about in our Lord's presence, because there's there's so many problems of false happiness in people's lives, right? Addictions are are basically um, the result of this. And what happens? What happens is that um, the reward center of our brain, right? That that part of our brain that is activated when we achieve something, really anything, when we um, when we achieve anything that that uh, is rewarding in any way at all, is very closely connected to the the pleasure center of the brain, right? There's the same drug that's released. It's dopamine. And so when we think about addictions, well, what happens? People are addicted to drugs, they're addicted to gambling, they're addicted to, to pornography, right? And all of these things have a kind of ecstatic quality. And what does that mean? Well, an ecstatic experience is one in which it's so intense that, that one is taken out of oneself, right? One stands outside of oneself in one's, in one's experience. And this is what happens when we kind of lose ourselves in something. We lose ourselves in some intense pleasure, some intense experience. And that's why lots of things can be, can be addictive. Video games, Netflix, surfing the internet, shopping, <laughs> right? All of these things we can kind of get like immersed in. And there's an ecstatic quality and there's a forgetfulness of self in there. But addictions are, are ways really of trying to game the happiness system. They're not the, they're not true joy. They're not the fullness of joy. And they don't work. They don't work when we get addicted to something that, that is a, a partial good or not the fullness of, of goodness. We know that we're cheating. We know that this is excessive. We know that it's not morally or spiritually healthy. We know that it can even be destructive and, and, and that it is destructive, that it hurts our relationships, it hurts our health, and it can even threaten our lives. And all of these are fake copies of, of true joy, fake copies of the fullness of joy, of Jesus' own joy. We want our pleasure center or our reward center of the brain, we want that experience of, of, of happiness to be tied to worthy accomplishments to be tied to the will of God, to pleasing God as they were tied to pleasing God in Jesus, right? Jesus experienced happiness and dopamine even because he had a true human nature when he did God's will, when he forgot about himself in prayer and goodness, when he served others, when he realized that he was acting in a way pleasing to the Father, when he realized how much he was loved by the Father. And we too, we want the same thing. We want to be happy. We want to take pleasure in worthy accomplishments. We want those experiences and those biological, <laughs> those biological um, manifestations in our brain and our psyche to be activated by being loved by God, to be activated by forgetting about ourselves because we're loving Him and others. To be activated because we're accepting difficulties for some higher ideal. To be activated because 
because we're we're proud in a healthy way of our activity, of our behavior, of our life. Now, there's a relationship here, right, between joy and pleasure. But joy is not reducible to pleasure. We can still feel physical and psychological pleasure and yet be miserable spiritually. You can enjoy a a piece of chocolate and yet feel terrible about it because you're breaking some diet that (laughs) that you're supposed to be committed to that you started. Or you can enjoy a piece of chocolate, like physically, even psychologically, but feel miserable about it because you're breaking a London promise to give up chocolate. And so true joy comes, it's not just pleasure, and it's not always even pleasant. True joy comes with moral goodness, with a certain innocence, with a, with a, a rectitude of virtue, without leaving, right, without leaving God's love, remain in my love, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, you will remain in my love. And so true joy comes with certain moral moral requirements and addictions and excesses, trying to find ecstasy through illicit pleasure or or lower things, those things that people tend to get addicted to, which are destructive. Therefore, it's not, it's not true joy. It's illusory joy. And it leads actually to, to spiritual sadness and, and self-destruction. So we want to tell our Lord in our prayer, Lord, I want this true life. I want the fullness of life that you come to bring us. I want this fullness of joy that is your joy in me, as you put it. If you keep my commandment, and our Lord's commandments are radical. Our Lord's commandments are commandments to be just like Him, to be loved like Him by the Father, as we saw, the love with which the Father loves me will be in you. The love of God has been poured into our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Their commandments to be loved by God as God loves him, and their commandments to, to, to love God and others as, as Jesus himself did with this, with this radical self-giving. And he said to all, this is from the Gospel of Luke, and he said to all, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? This is the greatest invitation. This is the secret of the saints. This is the great secret of Christian life, that our Lord invites us into his own path of total self-giving. And in our prayer this morning, he's asking us, follow me, live this life. You can't fake true life. You can't fake true joy. You have to learn to give yourself completely. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever who loses his life for my sake, he will save it. Only this will make us truly happy. Only this will satisfy our hearts. Only this will satisfy our deep desire for happiness. And if we don't take him up on this, we lose ourselves. We lose our true life. We lose our true joy. Lord, I want this true life. 
Lord, I want this true joy. And therefore, Lord, help me to overcome my bad self-love. Help me to overcome my selfishness, my, my egoism. Help me, Lord, as you put it, to deny myself and take up my cross daily and follow you. You need a heart and love, not an easy life to be happy, St. Josemaria writes in the furrow, point 795. You need a heart and love, not an easy life to be happy. Lord, I make an idol of the easy life, the life of success, the life, the life of pleasure, the life of more rest, the life of getting my own way, a life of filling up with good worldly things, good experiences. Lord, help me to see that it's an idol, it's a false god, and it, it, it's an illusion. The happiest people we see and meet are those who have made God and others the center of their life. The happiest people with the most meaningful lives of those, are those who have shifted themselves to the side and put God and others first, who live for ideals and are not afraid of sacrifice. You need a heart and love, not an easy life to be happy. Sometimes people ask me about what I think about tattoos, and that's complicated. <laughs> it's a complicated topic. And so I won't get into the, my whole tattoo theory. But um, but I think, you know, if, if you're going to get a tattoo, I like to tell people, well, at least make it something helpful, right? apostolic or helpful spiritually. And so I think, you know, furrow, furrow 795 would be a good tattoo. And people say, what does that mean, Pharaoh 795? And you could say, well, it means you need a heart and love, not an easy life to be happy. And so that, you know, maybe you could, that would, that would help someone who needs to hear this, hear this, um, important message. Lord, you know, this is scary for us. It's scary to talk about picking up a cross every day. It's scary to talk about losing our life for your sake. And so make up the difference with trust. This is what our Lord did. The last words of our Lord on the cross, into your hands I commend my spirit. I entrust you with this experience of death. I trust you with this experience of giving myself. Lord, help me to trust you enough to start taking up my cross every day. And what does that look like? Well, we have to get practical. Do I know what I should be doing at each moment of the day? And then do I push myself to do it out of love for God, out of love for others, to forget myself, to overcome my laziness, to put my heart into what I'm doing? Do I try to do it well and don't cut corners for the love of God? What St. Josemaria called the fulfillment of the duty of each moment and what many saints call the, the sanctity of embracing the duties of our state in life which which has to come down, I think, to living a schedule. Most of us are not good enough to be spontaneously holy. Most of us can't say, well, let's see what happens today. Right? Let's see, let's see how it goes. I know that if I did this, I'd probably end up in prison in a, in a couple in a couple of weeks. And here we have to overcome the tyranny of our feelings. We have to say, who's in charge here? Why do I do things? Do I do things just because certain chemicals in my brain are telling me, you feel tired, you feel hungry, you feel bored, you feel curious, you feel angry. Am I, am I 
a slave to my whims, to my emotions? Or do I do things rather because I've thought about them in God's presence and I try to process my life through my prayer and say, this is God's will. This is what God wants my day to look like. This is what God wants my relationships to look like. And then I work for that. This is what a day full of faith and generosity and trust in God and love would look like. And we try to live that. We're not perfect. We're not going to do it perfectly. But we try to live that. We shoot high. All of this is taking up our daily cross. Small opportunities not to complain. Small opportunities to help others when we see their needs. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. With the condition, if you keep my commandments. Lord Jesus, as we close this prayer, we go to our mother, our mother Mary, who, like you, loved to the point of forgetting herself and trusted to the point of giving herself entirely over to God's plan. And so we go to her, Our Lady, Cause of Our Joy, one of the beautiful titles that she has in the Litany of Laredo. Our Lady, Cause of Our Joy, pray for us. Pray for us. Help us truly to be like your Son so we can experience the true life and the true joy of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for 